For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son, so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And having chosen them, he called them to come to him. And having called them, he gave them right standing with himself. And having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. And also from the NIV. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Amen. The St Andrews is God's word. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, as we come to look at one of the more challenging beliefs that Christians hold and beliefs that Christians have discussed and debated about for centuries and having a little look at it, it's going to be brought out more next year as we get into uh, later chapters 9 and 10 and 11. Lord, this whole area of predestination, I ask that, Lord, that I would decrease, you would increase. I pray that the assurance, the hope, and the wonder of this belief would touch people's hearts. I pray as uh, a little video clip, Tim Keller will speak during part of this message that the incredible wisdom insight you've given him would resonate, even though it's on video coming through, uh, that he would speak powerfully as well, and that you would knit this message together this morning in a way that someone who's never heard of the word predestination, and also someone at the other end who's heard it and doesn't like it, Lord, that both and, and those who love it, Lord, everyone here would grow because this is your word. This is your scripture. You have breathed on it and it is powerful and it can cut through marrow and it can change hearts and lives. And we're not here for a motivational talk. We're here to encounter the living God. We want to hear from you, Lord. So come, Holy Spirit, and do what that only that you can do. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, with Catherine's illness, I have been learning new skills. I've been learning new cooking skills. I had students, I know this, this sounds really bad, probably the woman out there. For 20, 20 years, I mean, I, I had it pretty good. I went from living at home and mum would cook. I had this magic washing basket where just dirty clothes would be scattered around my room. Would get magically put into the washing basket and then appear magically ironed and washed in my drawers. What a great life I had. And then I sort of go ahead cooking and cooking and then I went to Catherine cooked for me. But with Catherine's illness, I am learning new skills this last year, a bit on um, my food bag. And so I've discovered all these words I had no idea. Do you know that up, you, can, you, can, you can shake your head? I had no idea what the word floret actually was. until mm -hmm. um, so I've now learned what a floret of broccoli is. I'd be like, floret? What on earth is floret? Google, tell me what floret is right now. I was like, oh, okay, I now know what a floret is. So there's new words. And so when you're doing new things, you learn new words. So if you're new to Jesus and you, then it's good for you to learn some new words. The NLT the NL version changes, gets rid of the theological words and just puts in a nice, easy English. But sometimes it's also good for us to learn uh, the complicated words, like predestination. Say the word, predestination. Predestination. Yeah, you're already on the way to learning it. It's good to, good to know. So what does this word mean? And how does this word relate to you and me? Well, one of the hardest Christian beliefs for me to get my head around is how God works out our choices 
and his choices and his decisions. Right? How God reconciles these two things. To put it really simply, if God has already decided on an outcome, then why bother praying? Right? If God has decided he's going to do something, then why do I even need to pray? It's like, Lord, if you're going to do something, I'm just going to put my leg, my feet up. I can relax and chill, enjoy the morning. You go to work. Because I know God does not need my help to do nothing. Right? So why pray? Why do anything if God has already determined a path? And we see this tension come out uh, uh, between these two things of our choices and free will agency to do stuff and God's decisions in this morning's text with predestination. So what is predestination? Well, in the NLT, it gives a bit of a, uh, using, using other words, for God knew his people in advance, before you were born. Before you became a Christian, God knew you, his people, he knew you in advance, and he chose them. So hear this, before you chose Jesus, Jesus chose you. That that's, that's predestination. He foreloved you before you loved him and before you were born. Right? So it is, that is the all-knowing creator God is out of time. Not only does he have this foreknowledge of the decisions we make, he has intentionally chosen you before you were born. Now, why does that drive me nuts and why have I hated that belief for many years? Because I want to believe it's my choices and my action that chooses God and that God responds to my, cho my choices. And also it raises the question, what about those that God hasn't chosen? Right? And a whole bunch of other stuff. And how does that relate to free will? And how does the Bible make sense of God's choices that he makes and our choices? So to get a little bit of help today... I'm going to invite Tim Keller, he's with the Lord now obviously, but he's, he's still available on, on video. And I, and I thought, I want to get Tim to come in and, and give him seven minutes or so, and he's going to explain, as best as he can, human responsibility and actions. He's just going to go straight from the Bible. You're just going to hear Bible from him, more or less. And you're going to hear God's decisions. And, and you're going to hear, and remember Tim Keller, when he planted his church in Manhattan City, he was this theology professor, he walked up a theology professor, uh, you know, with students and geeky stuff and scholarly stuff. And they planted a church right in the heart of Manhattan City. He's not a charismatic talker. When you hear him, you just see this really laid-back, low-key sort of teacher. And because God gave them a gift of apologetics, thousands of hardcore atheists came to Christ and had their lives transformed. And thousands of spiritual seekers of different religions came to Christ. The church just grew to six or 7,000. And you get to see him, and when you look at him, you go, how on earth did God use Tim? Because he's just so laid-back and chilled with what he says. He's not, like, charismatic. But I'm going to get him in, and he's going to talk for seven minutes on these two things. It connects to the text. A conclusion in, in, on the cross, and that is the relationship between God's sovereignty and human responsibility. The relationship between God's sovereignty and human responsibility. Notice in verse 9 it says, We prayed to our God and posted a guard. Hmm. We prayed to our God and posted a guard. You know, in Isaiah 38... Uh, there's an interesting place where uh, Hezekiah the king is about to die. He knows he's about to die. He prays, O oh Lord, save me. God says to Hezekiah through Isaiah, okay, I'm going to give you, I'm gonna, you're going to get better and you're going to get 15 years uh, more life. And then uh, uh, Hezekiah says, that's great. And then Isaiah adds this. He says, so create 
a, a, a kind of a, a hot plaster made out of figs and put it on the boil on the infected place and you'll get better. Same thing. I prayed to God. God said, I will answer. I will heal you. Okay, here's the medicine. I prayed to God. God will fight for us. Okay, here's your weapon. Now, what you have over and over again in the Bible is this emphasis on God's sovereignty and human responsibility as two things that go together. We have a tendency to say, look, if God's really protecting you, you don't have to post a guard. And if you're posting a guard, then you really don't believe God's protecting you, right? No. No. To both. To me, my favorite example of this is actually in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 27, uh, Paul is in a boat. He's a prisoner. He's on his way to Rome. And he's... uh, in the boat, you've got both sailors who are sailing the boat, and you've also got soldiers who are with Paul. And uh, a terrible storm comes up, and the storm is raging for days. And at one point, an angel of the Lord appears to Paul and says, even though the boat will be lost, no one will die. Not one person will die. So he comes out and he tells everybody about it. Now, considering everything else the Bible says, this means that nobody's going to die. Because Deuteronomy 18 says, if a prophet gives a prediction and it doesn't come true, kill him. He's not speaking from the Lord. Uh, in First, first uh, Samuel 15, there's that famous place where it says, God is not a man that he should repent. So if he tells a prophet something's going to happen, it's got to happen. And yet... By the time you get to yeah, verse 31, and this is uh, Acts chapter 27, uh, in verse 22, he tells them nobody's going to die. You get to Acts chapter 27, verse 31, in the middle of the storm, the sailors start to really get worried. So they start to sneak over to a part of the boat where there's a lifeboat, and they start to lower the lifeboat. Paul sees it, or finds out about it, runs to the soldiers and the commander of the soldiers and said, you've got to keep them in the boat or we're all going to die. Okay, now wait a minute. Why didn't Paul say, hey, you know, God has promised that nobody's going to die, so it really doesn't matter what you do. Just go snorkeling if you want. <laughs> you know, in other words, there's no, there is no way anybody can die because God has said so, so it doesn't matter. Take the lifeboat, don't take the lifeboat, who cares? No, that's not, he says, we got to all stay in the boat. What's going on here? Both uh, J.R. Packer in his book, Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God, and Don Carson in his book on divine sovereignty and human responsibility, isn't that the name of it? Yeah. Uh, uh, I have to admit Don's book is a little more uh, theologically rich than uh, J.R. Packer's book, is a way to put it. Uh, But if you read both those books together, uh, you will get a grip on something that comes together in the cross. You know, when after after the crucifixion, when Peter is preaching the very, very first, the very, very first um, sermon, he's looking at the people there around him in Jerusalem, and he says, Jesus Christ was offered up as a sacrifice by the foreordination and, and, and determination of God, and you crucified him with wicked hands. You see, on the one hand, it was absolutely certain that Jesus Christ was going to die. And yet, at the same time, those of you who crucified him, you are utterly responsible for what you did. What you did mattered. You are responsible for what you do. Now, what this really means is no matter how bad things get, 
On the one hand, God is completely in charge. On the other hand, what you do matters. And I know that intellectually, we say, how can they both be right? It seems like if God's in charge, it doesn't matter what I do. And if it, what it matters what I do, if that really matters, then what's going to happen can't be really set in God's plan. Now, I know that logically it doesn't work, but I want you to realize how incredibly practical at the heart lived life level it is to believe what the Bible says. If I really believed that my actions could change the plan of God, that my prayers could change the plan of God, if you believe that and you pray again, you're not thinking. You have way, way too high a view of your own, your own wisdom. You know, some of you know, I've said this before, but you know, an old joke I know is that when you're, I always say, especially to younger people, I say, you know, when you were 10 years old, you're 10 years old, you, were, you, you can remember that your eight-year-old self was, was totally stupid. And when you're 15 years old, you think back about your 10-year-old self and the things you wrote and believed, and you go, ugh. And when you're 20 years old, you think your 15-year-old self was a jerk. And when you're 30 years old, you really think your 20-year-old self was a jerk. And guess what? You're a jerk now. <laughs> you're a jerk right now. All right? Okay. And therefore, if you really believe that, that my prayer changed the will of God, changed the plan of God, I wouldn't pray again. You shouldn't pray again. How do you know what should happen? You don't know what should happen. But on the other hand, if you just believe it was all fated and it doesn't matter how we live, well, then you have no incentive to stretch every nerve. What the Bible says is what you do matters. What you do matters. You are responsible. At the same time, you can't completely screw up your life because God is in charge. And you need to know that. You're not going to live life. You're not going to be able to live life. That's the reason why the people who crucified Jesus Christ were guilty at the same time was absolutely sure that he was going to die for our sins. Now, here's the last thing. So you and I are responsible for our actions, but for the Christian, you can't completely screw up your life either because God is on his throne and he's using all things, including our mistakes, for his purposes. Our choices really matter. Our prayer changes things and God's plan is going to happen. Now, for someone like me who wants this to connect intellectually, this drives me nuts. Who's been driven nuts by this before? <laughs> uh, by the way, if, you, if you're in a, book, a home group and it's really boring and you just want to sit back and enjoy some popcorn, what I normally just say, I say the word predestination, Calvin's and Arminians, what do you guys think? And I'll just sit back and just watch the conversation. It's great. If you know their two views, you know about free will and soul sovereignty, you just enjoy the rest of the home group, put your feet up, and, and have the home group leader scowl at you because you've just totally derailed the entire uh, 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 conversation. Because... It drives people nuts. Uh, trying, but on the other hand, he actually is right. It is deeply emotionally reassuring if you believe what the Bible says and just say that God has got, God's got a way he figures this out. It doesn't have to figure out intellectually in my mind. I'm not God. I don't have to know it all. If I simply believe what the Bible says, God has a plan. He's foreordained. He's going to bring his purpose to pass. And no plan of God can be thwarted. And on the other hand, my actions really do matter. And my prayers change events. If you believe the both, they're emotionally, it's amazing. It means that you're actually out there straining to change the world and you're praying for people. And you also know that on the worst day with the worst screw up, when things fall apart in your life, God is on his throne. He's not, God is not sitting there going, oh my goodness, look at the decisions those humans are making. Everything's falling apart. What are we going to do, Holy Spirit? Because God is foreordained. And we see that in the cross. The worst thing that someone did, killing the Son of God himself, was the very planned purposes of God. And this happens in our life. 
All right, so one aspect of this thing of our choices and God's choices is the area of salvation. Uh, and it is uh, predestination, right? And so in those opening chapters of Romans, right, this is the whole context, not just one or the other, it's both. In those opening chapters of Romans, we see that human choices really matter. Humans reject God. Humans know God, but they don't want to worship Him. They want to do what they want to do. And there are consequences for that. So chapter after chapter, verse after verse of human choices and consequences. Now we're starting to get a little taste. We're going to see it. it's really going to come out in chapters 9. God is making choices. And we get to see these ones here coming out. God foreknew. What that means is he foreknew or the NLT he chose. Or another way of saying foreknew, he foreloved before you were born. Those who love the Lord, God knew you and chose you and loved you before you chose him. No matter what our human choices, the Lord chose the thief on the cross who was going to repent. There were two of them, remember? One was cursing, the other repented. God foreknew and forechose. It wasn't just the thief on the cross choices. God was making choices as well. This is a great promise. It is a great promise to know that if you are actually forechosen or part of his elect, other language, then there is the security of salvation in knowing that, that God is making choices as well. We see this come on. Those he predestined, this is the NIV, or forechose, he also called. And what this call is, it is an effective call. He is like Jesus at the tomb of Lazarus. Jesus called Lazarus. Lazarus, come out. And what did Lazarus do? He came out. So there was a Jesus was calling, but it was an effective, effective call, irresistible call. Death was not going to hold Lazarus out. And if you've been called by Jesus Christ, your spiritual death, you might be the million miles away. You may hate Jesus Christ. But if God is calling you, he will break those chains of death and you will walk out with those tomb clothes on and you will become salvation because the Lord has power to do that. That is that he predestined, he's called. And you see this golden chain go on. Those that he has called, he will justify. I know it's another one of those complicated words. It means that you've been saved. He declares you as if you had never sinned. No matter what you've done, Who's got those moments where you just run through the most, you know, you know those little moments of all the, the stupid, shameful stuff that you've done, right? Who's got that? Yeah. I, I think of um, my parenting, and I think of the worst moments of my parenting, you know, and um, occasionally my kids will bring it up. They have forgiven me. And they'll say, you know, they'll, they'll just point out, I, say, I just say, I am so sorry. That was a really horrendous parenting moment. I had no excuse whatsoever. And I would love to go back and redo it. Or I can think of the things, the worst things I said to Catherine in a fight, the words you want to get back later and look after the heat of the moment, or the worst things, that just shameful stuff. But do you know what Jesus says? Those whom he has called, he will justify. Jesus has declared me as if I'd never sinned. I get Jesus' honor. He takes my shame. He gets my sins. I get his forgiveness. This is the exchange. And if he's called you, he will justify you. And if he justifies you, he is also going to glorify you. Glorify means you will experience eternal life. It is the assurance of salvation. If you are predestined, then you will be called. If you're called, you will be justified. If you're justified, you will inherit eternal life and your bodies will be resurrected from the dead and you'll have glorified bodies. These things will take place. And there's one more thing that will take place if this is all true. 
And those he has predestined will be conformed to the image of his Son. There will be the fruits of repentance in those who have given their lives to Jesus Christ. It is not just those who say, Lord, Jesus says very clearly, not everyone who says, Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus will inherit eternal life. Only those who do the will of my Father in heaven. Only for those for whom the fruits of repentance show. In my case, it's been a little lifetime. I'd like, I look back, it's slowly growing, but it's fruit, not mushrooms. It does take a lifetime, but it will be there. And if you've been predestined, the Holy Spirit will present this out of your life. And so this here, remember, these are God's choices, but there is also the human choices. We're not denying that. Remember that. Remember the whole Tim Keller talk, right? Right. You've got the, you've got the human choices, but these are God's choices. And Paul gave this entire whole series of things. It was the grounding and evidence for this amazing promise, which comes in the next, uh, in the preceding verse we looked at last week. All of this comes together, and we know that in all things. God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purposes. So how does, how does all that other stuff relate to this? What it means if God is on his throne, he's outside of time, he can use anything and everything for his purposes. And if you are saved, he will use the worst things in the world for your good. All things. Not some things, not nearly all things, all things. And he will use that for your good if you have been called predestined, loved, according to his purpose. This is the incredible promises that is available. So for those for whom have been predestined, you will be called. If you're called, you'll be justified. If you're justified, you'll be glorified. And if all that is true, you'll be conformed to the image of his son. This is God's choices. And that therefore means no matter what takes place in your life, no matter how low you go, no matter what mistakes you make, the Lord will use this for good. And you have to hold that with also what Tim Keller says about the human choices we make. Right? It's like that. And, and then my brain explodes. You know, you can, you can sit and watch the, um, the men's home groups. They're trying to get that. And these things intellectually don't. And my choices really matter. Then why is this? I agree. It's like, the, uh, who's had that moment? That, uh, uh. But actually, emotionally, this is a wonderful thing. I look at my life right now. The Lord is on his throne. And he'll use everything happening in my life for good. And what about you? Who's going through a tough time? The Lord will use it for your good. So putting the whole verse together. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who've been who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. This is the sovereign hand of God. And he is bringing, working in all things and through all things to bring his purposes about. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we thank you for your word. And Lord, I ask in Jesus' name that the truth of it would sink into our hearts. That we would know both that our choices and decisions matter. And that also you are making choices and decisions to bring about your will. You have predestined and forechosen. And I pray that both these truths will sit in our heads and hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen.